Hello and welcome to the Journalism.co.uk podcast, a show where we bring you insights from media industry experts to help journalists do their jobs better. I'm your host, Jacob Granger. Today, we'll be talking about getting young audiences more engaged with the world of academia. Academic writing is often complex, lengthy and dry, but that doesn't make it any less important. To make it more accessible to the masses, the UK publication The Conversation features articles written by academic contributors and translated into plain language by a team of editors. Noticing that younger readers are coming to the website with different needs, last year The Conversation started an article series that serves the more practical stories. We learn more about that with the series lead and commissioning editor Avery Annapol, who also chats about taking inspiration from the BBC user needs model and tweaking the formula to make it their own. We hear about how the series is evolving too, with a text message service intended to calm readers down ahead of their stressful work week. That's all coming up, so don't go anywhere. Avery, welcome to the Journalism.co.uk podcast. Thanks ever so much for jumping on the show. Thanks for having me. I understand that a little known fact about you is that um, you learned the violin when you were younger in childhood. You dropped it and then picked it up once again um, during the pandemic. Tell us more. Yes. So um, I played the violin all through high school um, to, I'd say, a pretty high level and then kind of dropped off. Um, but yeah, picking it up again as an adult has been a really interesting experience and um, actually kind of a conversation we've been having on our uh, team here at, at Quarter Life at the conversation has been about relearning childhood hobbies and um, what that's like and what it can bring you as an adult in, in your 20s and 30s. So, What has it brought you then? Um, well, some screen free time every week, that's for sure. Um, just a chance to be doing something challenging and creative and yeah getting away from the the computer and the endless scrolling yeah i'm i'm in a similar but not the same situation i I learned the drums growing up and then i dropped it you know probably late teens never returned to it so you might recommend that to me i suppose yeah it's good to do something a bit creative and uh, i play in a local orchestra so getting to meet people and also just be exposed to more classical music has been yeah, it's been nice. My uh, my neighbours might not thank me too much for for getting a drum kit out. <laughs> I don't know about you in in lockdown and violins, but um. Yeah, drums are a, a little less of a socially acceptable hobby, but uh, I support it. Today we're going to talk a lot about the some of the work that you've been doing with the conversation around a really fascinating series that you've been running since uh, March 2022, uh, the Quarter Life series. Um, but you know, let's let's kind of stand stand back from that for a, for a second. I'm sure a lot of our audience will know about the conversation. Um, you can maybe correct me if I'm wrong here. You know, anyone who's spent time in academia will know that it's you know academic writing is quite dry, it's quite lengthy, it's quite complex. And certainly, my impression of the conversation is it's an attempt to make a lot of that writing more accessible, both for general audiences, but also you know people in professional capacities as well. Is that about right? Yeah, you hit the nail on the head. Um, I used to read the conversation just as a reader when I was in a, a politics, um, more politics focused journalism job and um, just trying to wrap my head around some of these more complex issues, uh, but really hearing directly from experts. So I would go to the conversation for really accessible journalism, but that also brings um, the academic rigor and research background that you might not get in ordinary news coverage. For sure. And and the model is that the bulk of the writing is done by you know professors academics and then you've got a team of um uh, in-house editorial staff such as yourself who 
do the editing, do the commissioning. Yep, that's exactly right. We go out to the experts across the UK and around the world. We have a, a global network um, and get them to write about their expertise for us, offer uh, timely analysis or expert commentary on what's going on in the world or writing about their own research. And we help them fine tune it and make it accessible to the general public. Perhaps one of the most unique things about the conversation is the fact that all of your articles are under the Creative Commons license, which essentially means that, of course, there are simple guidelines here, um, but people can come along, copy and paste the article and publish it on their own sites. And um, I guess the obvious question is, why do you do that? Yeah, so um, the having other publications be able to republish for free is huge benefit um, both to us and to our authors because, um, like you said, people in the media world might know the conversation, um, but we've only been around for 10 years and are definitely not as established as some of the, you know, BBCs and CNNs of the world. But uh, when we have partnerships with those other publications, we can get our pieces to appear on CNN or Fast Company or, you know, another major republishers. So we get millions of reads around the world just from those uh, having that partnership. And it's great for our authors too, to be able to see their piece republished uh, somewhere else that maybe their their friends uh, go to regularly to read, if not the conversation. Yeah. I'm sure you have your own metrics around you know article performance, but on the republishing side, how formal of a goal is that for the conversation? Do you, is that something you really think about when you are commissioning stories? Um, it's definitely something that some of our sections think about uh, more than others. We have um, a section called Insights, which is our, our long reads. And um, what they do is really try to work with republishing partners to bring um, just sort of a different approach. They're often really narrative-based uh, new research. Uh, so they commission and publish with a republishing partner in mind very often. Mm. But can, can you track it internally, how far an article's gone, how many times it's been republished and picked up by other outlets? Yeah, we do track that. Again, depends on the article. We definitely have some that have had, you know, hundreds of thousands of uh, reads on other sites. Um, but if, if an article is picked up more times than others, is that a pat on the back, good job and well done to the team? Or Yeah, it's exciting to see something get a, a republish in um, a big you know, really popular newspaper. We definitely get ones that where we know that we've given them the idea, but they haven't given us the appropriate credit. So that's an internal pat on the back, but not so nice to see. <laughs> and, and how exactly does that translate into helping the business? Uh, well, just the, the impact and engagement. I mean, our business model is that uh, universities pay a membership fee to work with us. Um, so we don't have any ads and everything is free. We don't have any uh, you know, subscriptions or, or reader memberships or anything like that. So the big, bigger reach that we can have, um, the better, just because it uh, shows people our value and encourages other universities to jump on board wherever they are in the world. So to summarise, the more the articles are republished, the more satisfied universities are with their membership to the conversation because their research is getting seen by a larger audience. Now you'd be forgiven for thinking academic topics would attract an older crowd, but it turns out that 18 to 35 year olds read the conversation too, and they're very much interested in their own personal and professional developments. To meet the needs of this demographic, the conversation launched a series in March 2022 called Quarter Life, stories for people in their 20s and 30s going through big life changes. Think mental health, quiet quitting, the cost of living crisis, property ladders, career ladders, and so on. It came out of bigger newsroom discussions and you know discussions across our network about 
how to be better value for our readers, not just what topics people want to read about, but what they really want to get out of uh, reading pieces and reading our content. Um, and so we've adopted the user needs model, um, which a lot of newsrooms uh, use. It was developed by Dimitri Shishkin at the BBC. Um, and as I said, that's about, you know, not just thinking about what topics people want to read, but whether they want to be educated or be inspired to action or be distracted from everything else going on. So um, this idea to target this specific group was based on audience survey data that told us um, both that the biggest share of our audience is that 18 to 35 demographic, they're young professionals, um, but also that they want, you know, specific things out of reading our content. So quarter life was a way to sort of merge all those things together and really try and meet our target, target audience where they are and with what they need. I find that a little bit surprising because um, I would have thought, you know, uh, your publication, thinking about academic writing, who's following you, you might associate those readers to be older in their careers, more senior. But what you're saying there is quite surprising. You actually discovered there was quite a young readership in your audience and you wanted to cater to them more specifically. Yeah. And um, to help them be more engaged. So, you know, not just getting them to click on things, but to really read pieces all the way through and to to bring valuable pieces. And, um, you know, when you look at comment sections on, on our site or anywhere else, it's easy to kind of get a, a skewed sense of who's reading and who's engaging. But I think there's a lot bigger uh, demographic behind the scenes who, you know, needs a little bit more targeted commissioning or targeted attention. And that's what we're trying to do with Quarter Life. Awesome. Um, we republished one on hybrid working, you know, the shifting priorities of young employees and the implications that would have for managers and workforces. And so that really gives you a flavor of, you know, the, the direction of this content, you know, how the, the, the practical sense of that content as well and why someone like us would want to pick that up. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's a great example of a piece that is, you know, it was commissioned with this target audience in mind, but it's not exclusive to them. It's something that people of any age who are going through hybrid working can be interested in. And what our numbers are showing us is that this series is really resonating with people across the board and just having higher engagement and higher page views generally. So, you know, what that tells us is that commissioning with user needs in mind is just really a reward across the board. It meets the audience where they are and keeps them engaged, you know, with a wide reach. So not necessarily just the target audience. Just for clarity there, those, you know, when the BBC World Service came out with this, Dimitri Shiskin led this effort, there was keep me on trend, update me, give me perspective, educate me. I imagine that's a really big one for you. Divert me and inspire me. So have you really tried to go and, and cater to all of those six or have you maybe thought of any different ones or some not so relevant? What's What's been the position? So we have our own four, which sort of pull from those. Um, one that I don't think you mentioned was motivate me or inspire me. So that's one that um, is really good for us, especially in like our um, environment coverage and, yeah. uh, you know, urging people to, to take action and mental health stuff too. When we have um, pieces, you know, with really research-backed advice on here are some actionable steps you can take. Um, that's something that would sort of fit into that motivate me category. Yeah. So you said there's four. There's there's motivate me. What else is is in those four? Uh, educate me, motivate me, keep me on trend, and give me perspective. Interesting. And are all of those kind of equal in in importance, or you know, I'm kind of looking at the educate me one, thinking that might be you know a particularly important one for you. Yeah, I wouldn't say it's um, necessarily about 
one being more important than the other. It's it's just kind of a, a way to think about when you're thinking of a piece and the specific angle to take, um, which user need can this fill? Is this something where we're trying to help people think about things in a different way? Are we giving them perspective? Are we giving them specific advice? So there's not necessarily one that's better than the other, depending on the topic, one might land a little more, but it's just sort of a, it's more of a way of thinking rather than a quota or, or priority or anything like that. What's been some of your best performing uh, stories in this, uh, in this series? What are some of the big hitters? Um, so looking at republishing, uh, the, the, top four that were the most republished kind of cover the, you know, run the gamut and far as far as um, topics. So one of the most popular was on quiet quitting. Not too surprising. That's been a bit of a bit of a hot trend, hasn't it? Absolutely. So written by a sociologist um, explaining why doing less at work can be good for you and your employer. Um, and then right after that is totally the other end of the spectrum. Should I still go on holiday if I have COVID written by a bioethics expert? So it just tells you that there's, you know, a wide range of interest in this group. It's not all just about, you know, hybrid working and social media. But It speaks very much to the zeitgeist that we're in right now, where there's so much scrutiny on our own lives of what, 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 do, what we're doing professionally, what we're doing personally, and the range of things that people in this target, target audience group are thinking about right now, all the things they're juggling in their own personal and professional lives, you know, with the breadth of topics that I can clearly see that you're covering. Yeah, definitely. Um, and that's something, and this is getting ahead a little bit, but you know, one reason we're trying to get more uh, data and information directly from readers is so we can know more about what those different topics are that they're interested in. I mean, you know, we have a great team of six editors here who have ideas across different topics, um, but we are all in the media. We are all very online and have specific worldviews. So being able to hear more from our audience is really um, what all of this is about. Were there any surprises in terms of stories which picked up that you maybe didn't expect or, you know, little hidden gems that did better than expected? Um, I honestly was kind of surprised at how well the, the quiet quitting one did. I knew it was something that people were interested in and it was it sort of merged all the different um, user needs. So, you know, it was able to kind of keep people on trend by informing them of, uh, you know, what this topic was and what it really meant, but also give them a sense of perspective and, um, you know, a slightly different approach to it that we not, you know, not just, oh, quiet quitting is great because it's a change in working habits, but really looking at uh, just sort of different perspectives on it. Yeah. And, and speak to me just about the significance of this all being steeped in research for a second, because I think it's quite easy for general news publishers to speak about some of these things that we're speaking about, mental health, cost of living, you know, quiet quitting, property ladders, etc. But the stuff that you're putting out is is baked in research. And so it really comes in with 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 rigor, I guess, is what I'm saying. Yeah. So it's I mean, we really want our audience to to trust us if they're coming to us for advice about cost of living, mental health, things that are really serious issues. I mean, our aim is to tell people, you know, this is a, an expert on this topic and this is the research they've done. This really showing people why they can trust us. Yeah. I'd, I'd perhaps phrase it a different way in the sense that traditional academia, there's a bit of a disconnect there in terms of engaging with it. It's quite difficult. You know, if you are in your 20s and 30s and you want to know more about these topics from an academic standpoint, it's difficult to go to the literature and do that. You'll be there for a long time. You'll be going to be really going through the weeds. 
I guess from your perspective, it's about um, pulling out the, the the key messages, pulling out the key research and the and the key data, and presenting that to audiences in a way that's accessible for them. Absolutely, and a lot of the the research that we bring um, to the general public too is sort of surprising or, or lesser known things that you wouldn't ever hear about unless you did go to those um, academic sources. So, for example, one of the the top republished quarter life pieces was about clutter core, which was a TikTok interior trend um, late last year. But the so the subhead on this is Gen Z's revolt against millennial millennial minimalism is grounded in Victorian excess. So there's a whole historical, you know, Victorian approach to something that people are just, you know, scrolling past on TikTok and might chat about with their friends. But unless you had a piece like this where someone is talking about their research into you know, Victorian fashion and style, you wouldn't really know where the roots of that are from. And can you give me a sense of the types of publications that pick that up and republish it? Do you know? Yeah, so the top republisher on that one was Fast Company. So, um, you know, there's, they're more of a, a business and trend-focused uh, publication, but so I think it makes sense that they're interested in something like that. Um, and then a couple of uh, just different publications from around the world. So it's just international interest and some of the usual players, um, and then a, a website called The Next Web. It's it's interesting because with your model, you're able to get academic-based content to the right niche publications, if that makes sense, without necessarily doing the legwork. People are able to come to you, something that might be really kind of too niche for a general publication, a, a more you know trade publication is able to see that, spot that, well, let's let's kind of lift that legally of course let's use that and it's got it's got a home and it's got a life then of its own yeah i mean i've definitely learned about a lot more publications than i knew about before i started working here but the advantage of the conversations model is that academic content can find its way onto the right niche publications without the professors or the editors necessarily doing the legwork in that sense the website is almost like a directory or a referral service Moving forward, the conversation is taking quarter life into the text messaging space. It's partnered with Subtext, an American SMS subscription platform that allows readers to sign up for free text messages from the news desk, but they can also reply straight to Avery and her team with feedback and questions. Subtext has only recently expanded internationally, which makes the conversation an early pilot for text message strategies for news in the UK. Though it's worth saying, other news organisations have done similar projects around private messaging platforms like Telegram and WhatsApp. The idea behind this is to learn more specifically um, about those user needs, what people are talking about, and to be able to ask people, well, what do you want to know about this topic? So, for example, just today I sent out a message asking people what questions they have about retirement and pensions, um, because, you know, there's been all these reports that the state pension age here in the UK is um, likely going to be raised to 68. And this is a piece where there's sort of a few different approaches that we can take. Um, but if we can actually ask people, well, what do you want to know about this? That'll help us fine tune our coverage. Um, so it's about yeah getting just some more direct engagement, having people feel like they have kind of a hotline where they can say, I have a, you know, I have a pressing question and I, I need an expert to answer this, but who can help me? Rather than doing the, the searching themselves, they can just send us a message. Hotline is a good way of, of putting it. Tell us more about that two-way communication. So this isn't just a dissemination tool. This isn't just a way of amplifying and getting more views on your content. This is a way of actually informing your coverage and putting your ear to the ground and seeing what 
um, your audience cares about and hopefully to inform your own commissioning. Yeah, um, so we, I mean, we want to hear more from our readers and there's a, a few different ways that different publications are doing this, you know, through Facebook groups or WhatsApp chats and, um, you know, people in this demographic in their 20s and 30s aren't the typical letter to the editor writers. They're not necessarily going to sit down and write an email, but um, they might send a text message or they might respond to a poll if we send it to them. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a way to to learn more from our readers, learn more about what they're talking about, what they're interested in, and and how we can be more of service, really. Avery, would you tell us what the Sunday Scaries are? Yes. Um, <laughs> so this was actually inspired by a piece that we had written by an expert in, in positive psychology. So I'm sure lots of listeners are familiar with uh, the end of Sunday, starting to feel anxious about the week ahead, really not wanting to get up and go to work. Um, so we had a really successful piece in our quarter life section um, about how to cope with those feelings of anxiety. Um, so we thought that'd be kind of a great time to reach out to our readers and sort of see, you know, is there anything you need from us this week? And how how can we meet you where you are and help you win the week ahead? So we have this weekly uh message that gets sent out to our uh, tech subscribers and we say you know here's the latest piece that we have here's how it might be able to help you uh, in the coming week and you know sometimes we'll ask a question or we'll you know ask people what's what's their challenge this week and we can send them out a, a specific piece that we've commissioned or if we don't have a piece we can say oh well we'll go ahead and you know find an expert who can answer that for you what I love about that is that you're practicing what you preach and you're, you know, you're utilizing the knowledge that's coming into you from the from the academic world. And you're, you know, that that's really clever. So, I mean, on that point, if somebody says to you, listen, I want a story about X, can you send it to them specifically or do you have to do it as a, a blanket broadcast? Do you what, what would you do? You can send it to them specifically. Um, so there's a couple of different ways to do it. You can do just sort of a one-on-one -on -one text conversation with someone. Um, there's all sorts of tools that we're still getting to grips with and experimenting with where you can, you know, I could send out a message and say, you know, are you anxious about your health or your finances this week? Like, you know, I'd, obviously everyone's anxious about both all the time, but, um, you know, if there's one specific thing and they respond with the keyword, then we can like set up an automatic reply. We can segment the audience so we can try different ways to you know, separate them out into people who are interested in different things. So there might come a point where we have, you know, one sort of subscription list of people who are really interested in health and fitness and another group who's really interested in relationships and dating. And we can uh, tailor our content and our broadcasts to what those groups are interested in. Yeah. I alluded to, to it previously that I'm in this uh, target audience, I suppose, which is, which is quite interesting. You know, I'm now uh, 30 and I'm in a professional job. The one word of caution, I suppose I might say, is that text messaging has, has maybe changed uh, over the last few years in terms of our relationship with it. I'm looking, just pulled up my text messages now, and uh, most of it is full of unread messages from like verification codes and banks and water bills and the rest of it. If I want to contact my friends and family, I tend to use like a WhatsApp or a Telegram. So uh, how do you feel about the text messaging platform, I guess, is, is my question here. You know, think about the tone and, and how you want to come at readers who might be expecting a bit more of a corporate or business ex um, account what's the thinking coming at it in that sense yeah well as far as you know the corporate business side we're, we're still kind of fine-tuning our voice you know other publications who use this service all do things differently and um, this is a bit of a tangent but 
our, our faces as editors are not really like the personalities of the conversation. Our experts and the faces of our articles are our authors. It's not really coming from Avery like that would be kind of surprising and maybe a little weird to people. So we're still sending things out as, you know, being from the conversation and um, it seems to be working so far, but it's, you know, something we're still still experimenting with. But yeah, as far as the, the text message thing, it's this is definitely a discussion we had about, you know, whether we want to try a, a social media group or a WhatsApp. And in the end, we decided to go with Subtext just because they had a great platform and their, um, the people at Subtext have been really helpful in, you know, helping us fine tune our, our messages and giving us feedback on what is and isn't working with the messages and getting engagement. Um, but it also allows us to reach people around the world. I guess where I would go with this is that we are definitely in an age now of mass news avoidance. If we go on social media, we're just bombarded with information and we don't necessarily, if, we, if we're expecting information in, in, a, in our personal spaces like text messaging or private messaging as well by extension, you know, that's, that's a difficult one to balance in terms of how we come across. And we, you know, I know it's early days for this, this strategy, but, you know, what's your thinking going in knowing that audiences now are bombarded with information if you are in their personal space how do you respect that and how do you come across yeah well so i mean that's why quarter life is a great sort of source of content to do this with because we're not sending out breaking news alerts we're not hopefully not contributing to the stress of oh god what's that notification you know what horrible thing has happened in the world now we're sending out really helpful actionable advice um, that's you know based in research so not something that people can just get by googling and um you know, by understanding our user needs and understanding our audience a bit better, you know, we're hoping to even be able to preempt that and give people advice that maybe they didn't even know they needed or wanted. Um, and also the two-way exchange, I think, makes it seem it's less of a kind of in-your-face and more of a two-way engagement. 100%. And wishing you all the best with it, uh, Avery. Thanks ever so much for your time today and speaking to me. It's been a real blast. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us and for your interest in, in Quarter Life. Loads to think about with this episode. The BBC User Needs Model has really helped to convey why we need different types of articles to meet different needs. But those six needs aren't set in stone. Different publications will have audiences come to them for different reasons. The conversation only uses half of the BBC's user needs and has in fact added one of its own. The best way to find out what these are? Make a hypothesis, test it, and invite people to share their feedback. That doesn't have to be through text messaging. There are social media groups, community building tools which might work better for you but sms platforms are an interesting new engagement tool that has just become a whole lot more accessible i'd love to keep the conversation going and get your thoughts find me on twitter at jpg journalism or email me on jacob at journalism.co.uk you can check out all of our episodes on your usual podcast platforms soundcloud spotify and apple podcasts by searching and subscribing to the journalism.co.uk podcast but that's all we have time for this week I've been your host, Jacob Granger. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time.